Thanks for joining us this week for the Church at Starkey Hills podcast. Be sure to visit our website at starkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. All right, good morning, good to see you. So glad that you're here today. We are going to be in Exodus 4 and 5. We're going to finish 4 and 5. And I know you said that's an awful lot. It is an awful lot. We're, I'm going to preach fast. You're going to have to listen fast. Uh, but you may be sitting here thinking, uh, why this video on evangelism, right? I mean, it's like two weeks before Christmas. Why not a Christmas video? We're in Exodus chapter 5, 3,500 years ago. Uh, what does evangelism have to do with this Sunday? Are you ready? Some things just never change. You see, 3,500 years ago, Moses had been given a challenge a commission, a call, a command to tell the story of God. That's it. He said, Moses, called him out in the bush. He said, listen, I want you to go tell Pharaoh about me and what I want to do. And my message is clear. I am the God of deliverance. I am the God who moves people out of captivity and bondage and sets them free. I liberate people from anything that holds them back. And that's your message. That's all you got to do. And he didn't tell him, but Moses didn't have to worry about all of the results. He didn't have to worry about having all the answers to the unknown questions. He simply had to be obedient, walk out of that encounter, and tell somebody the story of God. So then that was 3,500 years ago. 2,000 years ago, onto this planet comes God in the flesh, Jesus, which we will celebrate in two weeks. And, And Jesus came with this message, and it's odd. It's the same message. Jesus' message was this. I come to set people free, to liberate people from the thing that holds them back, to set them free from captivity and bondage, to let them experience what victorious free living is all about, and I'm going to die on a cross to make it happen. And one of the last things Jesus said to the followers of Jesus, which are us, the church, is simply what God told Moses. Go and tell somebody the love story of God. And that's why we showed a video on evangelism. Because today, just like Moses, we hold in our hearts, we have in our minds enough truth to change the world. We don't have all the answers to the theological questions. We don't have all the answers to the world's questions, but we have enough information in our hearts and our minds to change this stinking world. And this world needs a change. Amen? You don't have to look around long to know that. And the same message that God gave to Moses He delivered through the person of Jesus, and he commands and commissions and calls us simply to tell the story. We don't have to worry about the results. We don't have to worry about the answers to the unknown questions. All we got to do is tell the story. And and I think that the reason this is so timely, Exodus chapter 5, two weeks before Christmas, is because the two greatest days of the whole year that people are most receptive to a message about the love story of God, Easter and Christmas. And we're going to celebrate Christmas. We're going to celebrate it next week with our children's program. We're going to celebrate it on Christmas Day. We're going to celebrate it on Christmas Eve. And so you have an opportunity. I'll just go ahead and tell you, you have an opportunity to invite people, de-churched people, unchurched people, lost people, saved people who have become disenchanted with God's kingdom agenda. You can invite them on on, uh, Saturday night, which is Christmas Eve. We'll have a service at 5 uh, we'll, we'll sing some songs. I'll preach a little message, which I know you find that part hard to believe. We'll light some candles, and we'll go home and have a good time for Christmas Eve, okay? And then on Christmas morning, we'll have a 10 o'clock service. In fact, next week, 
Christmas Day and New Year's Day, there will only be one service, this one, at 10 o'clock. So I want you to know that. So it's your opportunity. It's a perfect time to uh, share the love story of God. Now, why won't we do that? Why have we not already not done that in the past? We're going to look at somebody that we're going to pick on somebody's name's Moses. We're going to look back and say, that's pitiful. Moses, you can do better than that. But in the meantime, while we're looking at Moses, I want you to realize we're looking in the mirror and we're seeing much of the details of our own life. <clears throat> and so we left off last week in Exodus chapter 4, verse 20, and Moses has, uh, has, has gotten beyond inner um, hurdles in his life. His own insecurities, his, his small faith in a big God, uh, his concerns about the unknown things in the future. He's moved past that. And in Exodus chapter 4, 20, he gets to a place where he tells his wife, Zipporah, he says, hey, babe, load the donkeys. Me and you and the boys are going on a road trip. We're going to Egypt because I got a message to tell. And, and he's starting to get some, like, like some, uh, uh, some, some excitement in his conversation. And it's changing and motivating the way he lives his life. And they're moving the comfort zone and they're going back to Egypt. Now, that's where we left off. Now, that's a good spot to be in. Just moving beyond the, in, the, 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 uh, the inner hurdles of life and just trusting in a big God, it's a good spot to be in. But now we're going to see what we can expect next. And often it's not exactly what we think of. Now, in Exodus chapter 4, verse 21, Moses has just become obedient to God's call, commission, and command on his life. He's just stepped out of his comfort zone. And God says this, I will harden Pharaoh's heart so he will not let the people go. Now, this is a good spot. You just got obedient. God said, oh, by the way, it ain't going to happen like you think it is. Okay, I'm going to make his heart hard, and he's not going to listen to you. Now, again, I mean, immediately, he's at the crossroads again. It'd be a good spot to say, well, time out. I'm just going to go home. I like the sheep. You know, they at least kind of listen to me. Their heart doesn't seem too hardened. Okay, I'm going to stay here where it's comfortable. He doesn't do that. He continues to move forward. Now, I got to pause right here. I'm going to put this in here. I'm going to inject this. Verses 22 through 26 of Exodus chapter 4 is one of the most goofy, obscure passages in all the Bible. I'm just going to paraphrase it. God gets frustrated with Moses, and it says he almost killed him. He's obedient. He's, he just left home. And it says God wanted to kill him, but his wife Zipporah came to the rescue. What had he done? He had failed to do his fatherly duty. And that is to circumcise his son. So Zipporah circumcises the son and then comes to Moses and gives these odd statements to Moses. And now God doesn't kill Moses. Now, you can spend the rest of your day and all next week doing fruitless research about what that means if you want to. But as for me and my house, we're going to verse 27. Okay, fair enough. I will say this, <clears throat> when God says to do something, even if it seems odd, like circumcision, or difficult, or uncomfortable, or strange, if God says do it, we do it, and that's it. And until we get the first things, the first, things first, we shouldn't be moving to the second things. And so God had to get this right in Moses' life, and he did. Now, we're going to move to verse 27. God is going to change everything, and he's going to point out to Moses and let Moses see that the future hinges 
and hangs on his obedience to his commands to tell the story. And, and it doesn't unfold like we think it should. We think when we step into obedience, everything happens right. Everything goes like we should expect. That's, that's not true. It's not true. You and I are on a different timeline than our timepiece on our arm or on our phone. We're on God's eternal kingdom agenda timeline. And he does things when he wants to do. And sometimes when you are obedient to God, you don't necessarily see the fruit. Let me give you a funny one I just found out about, about this morning. So about a month ago, I went to Kenya with Keith and Tanya, and we did pastor's conferences there. And we got to preach, uh, preach to a bunch of preachers. It was kind of fun. I like that. And, and uh, one of the things we challenged them with is the uh, life guide, like we did, excuse me, the partnership guide, uh, DNA, it's who we are. We wrote one for Kenyans. And in that, we told them, said, listen, you got to do this. You got to do it like the Bible says to do it. You got to share the gospel. People are going to receive it, and then they need to be baptized by immersion. And here's a problem. They don't have much water, so it's hard for them to baptize. And so we told them, we said, listen, if you have converts, people who get saved, want to be baptized, we will bring a tank to your community, to your village. We will bring containers of water, fill the tank, baptize your people. One church was there at the pastor's conference, went home, and spread the gospel. This morning, they baptized 38 people. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? Now, when I was over there, we baptized a handful, four or five, I don't remember. But God does things on his timeline. Keith and Tanya went over there to do a Christmas feeding program and ended up baptizing 38 people. I'm telling you, when you get obedient to God, when I get obedient to God, we, we do what God tells us to do, which is, let me, let me tell you, it's real simple. It's real easy for us. It's the same for Moses as, it's, as it was for uh, the apostles. It's the same for you. You ready? Just love God. Love everybody enough to tell them the love story of God, and everything's going to be okay. That's it. You don't have to know all the, the theological answers. You don't have to understand all the doctrines. You don't have to n- memorize a thousand verses. Here it is. Love God with everything you have. Love people enough to tell them about God. And we're done. That's what he wants to use us for. He did it for Moses 3,500 years ago. He wants to do it in your life today. Now, watch what happens. We're going to see just because the inner hurdles have been uh, accomplished, we've moved, navigated past those, there's other hurdles that may surface when we least expect them. Exodus chapter 4, verse 27, it says, The Lord said to Aaron, Go to the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God. And he greeted him with a kiss. Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord who had sent him and all the signs that he had commanded him. Now watch what happens. Verse 29, then Moses and Aaron went and brought together all the Israelite elders. That's what they're supposed to do. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had attended to the Israelites and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed down closed their eyes, uh, bowed down close to the ground. Boom, just like we think it should be. You see, when we finally get to the place, we move past the inner hurdles of life and we step into the unknowns of the journey with Jesus and we're out there exposed and it's okay, we expect stuff like this to happen next. I'm going to do what God told me to do. I'm going to tell the Israelite leaders, listen, God is going to deliver your people. And they all believed and they all bowed down and worshiped 
And Moses and Aaron are like knucking each other like, yeah, that's what he said was going to happen right there. I was worried about that because I'm ignorant, okay? Because this is what it looks like when we obey God, right? Everything is good just like we think it should be. Now, unfortunately, that's not always the way it works out. Sometimes it, what God does is not what we expected. But at this point... God gave them one in the wind column, okay? And they're like, put that down in the wind column, we're one and oh. And so now they go to the next level, which they knew was not just to speak to the Israelite leaders, but to go tell Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, the story of God. So here's what happens now in Exodus 5. Afterwards, they're stoked. They won. It's big. They got the whole nation behind them now. They know that God's on the move. It says in chapter 5, verse 1, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh, and they said, This is what the Lord has said. Release my people so that they may hold a pilgrim feast to me in the wilderness. That word, this is what the Lord has said, thus says the Lord. They're like, they're name dropping at a whole nother level. They say, listen, God, Yahweh, told me to tell you, let the people go. And I don't know if you know Pharaoh, but I'm one and oh. The last group of people I told this, they bowed down and they worshiped God. And so I'm here to tell you, God told me, you got to let them go, right? Bold, fearless, right? Zero trepidation. And he's, moving, he's speaking before the most powerful man in the world. Now, here's what's interesting about that. Here's a shepherd and his brother, 80 years old and 83 years old, standing before arguably the most powerful person in the world. It's like you one day saying, I think God wants me to go tell the president something. You just drive on up to Washington, D.C. You just march your tail right up to the gates and say, hey, I'm here. God told me to tell the president something. Now, just between me and you, I'm not sure he would understand what you're saying to him, okay? I have no desire to speak to that president, okay? None, okay? But maybe you do. But if you think for a second they're going to let you in, they might let you in the jail. They're going to let you in. And here's these two shepherds, old dudes, before the most powerful man in the world with a message from God. It's, it, it's already cool. God's already opening doors. So we think, okay, we're here, right? And, and so there must be something good going on. This is going, this is going to turn out good. And Moses is at a place, no doubt, where he's went through all of the, the inner hurdles of life. He's pushed through all of his insecurities and his small faith in a big God. And he's seen people bow down when he tells the story. And, and God's already sent his brother and things are happening. And he's like, hey, I've got my orders here. I got my brother. I got my stick. I got this little hand in the vest trick thing. That's going for me. I mean, I, I've got a people behind me now. I'm one and oh, things are good. And so bottom line, Pharaoh, you're gonna have to let them go, right? And that's how we feel like it should go in our life. When we finally get to the place where we are willing to stand in the most uncomfortable spot and share the story of God, surely if we're willing He's going to do something powerful in the moment. That's our expectation of God. And there's nothing wrong with expecting great things from God because he's a great God. But it doesn't always happen on our timeline. We're going to see that just because we overcome the inner hurdles in life, there's external hurdles that will also surface in our life. And that's what we're going to look at today. I want to show you four 
external hurdles to the story of God given from the man of God against the truth of God. And it's the same 3,500 years ago as it is today. This is what it looks like sometimes. But I want to encourage you. Moses is not responsible. He doesn't get it yet. He's not responsible for the results. He's responsible for being an ambassador of the story of God. You. Tell the person next to you. I think he's talking to you. Yeah, you. I want to liberate you. You're not responsible for who gets saved and who doesn't. You're not responsible who re, who, for those who reject the message and those who receive it. You're just responsible for telling the story of God. And if you're a Christian, you are responsible for that. And hanging in your balance every day is life and death for somebody that we choose to tell the story or we refuse to tell the story. The first hurdle I want you to see is defiance of God's commands. You can expect this. When you come out of your comfort zone and you go to the place where God has called you with the message that he's called you to give, you can expect some defiance to the commands of God. Verse 2, Pharaoh answers. He says, who is the Lord that I should obey him by releasing Israel? I do not know the Lord, and I will not release Israel. All right? That's what you can expect. That's normal. Okay? That's what you can expect in sharing the love story of God. Defiance to his commands. They don't know. He says, listen, I don't know Yahweh, and I don't know you two yahoos. Okay? So I'm not going to let anybody go, okay? That's what we can expect. When you, I, I'll just tell you, it's Christmas coming in two weeks. A great time to invite your friends to church. You, you need to test me on this. Just test me. Invite 100 people, write their name down, and see how many people show up on Christmas Day. They will defy the commands. <laughs> they will defy God's message to them. Some will, but maybe they don't show up on Christmas. Seeds are planted in their life. One, that there, there really is a God out there. Who cares? And there's somebody in my world who cares enough to tell me. Did you get that? It's cool to know that God is a great God. But it's, 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 it's heartwarming to know that somebody cares enough to tell me. Because they are just like you once were. Just like Pharaoh is at this place where they can say, I don't know him. Now it wasn't that he didn't know who God was. If you're in charge and you have over 2 million slaves working for you who are Hebrews, Jews, you know about this God, capital G, Yahweh God. You know about him. You just don't know him. He's not personal to you yet. And he doesn't deny a God that there is a God because Egypt had all kinds of gods. Gods of outer space and gods of the river and gods over their lives. But in Egypt... He denied a God who would call the shots. You see, in Egypt, when Pharaoh went looking for God, he found a, sh a shiny piece of metal where he could look at his reflection. And when he looked into that, he thought he was looking at God. And you say, ooh, that's a little creepy, a little scary for somebody to think they're God. Do you understand that every time we are disobedient to God, it's because we have put ourselves in the place of God that our decision trumps God's decision. Our choice is better than God's choice for our life. We've made ourselves God. 
And that's what Pharaoh did. And so he defies what it is God wanted in his life. So the question for you, the question for me today, the question for Moses, when you get to that place where you're being obedient, sharing God's story, and you get pushback, you get defiance, you get rejected, how how will we respond? Will we turn away from what God's called us to do? Do we get frustrated with God? Do we get uh, do we start making accusations against God? Do we stop trusting God more? Do we start trusting Him less? Do we just pause, pump the brakes, and just I'm not going to tell anybody else. Listen, I've shared this story before. When I was in my 20s, and Kendra and I had recently gotten married, and God really got a hold of my heart big, and I was chasing Him, okay, because He was cool, and I knew I, in this moment I just knew God was was just. Cooler than anything I ever knew. Just more amazing than everything I understood. And I started getting hungry for him. And, and God put me around people who were hungry like that. And so they started saying, hey, let's go visit people. I'm like, yeah, okay. They're like, how are we going to do that? Meet at Tuesday. We're going to go door to door. Okay. You know, do I need to wear a white shirt and a necktie and ride a bicycle? You know, what, what I need to do here? You know, I need to get some watchtower information because that's the ones that do that, right? And we go door to door. And they showed me how to share my faith with people, how to ask somebody if they know God, and if they don't, how to tell them how they can meet God through Jesus. And it was not that hard, and it couldn't have been, or I wouldn't have been able to do it. And, and I would tell people about Jesus, not interested, not interested. I would go back to these meetings of other people, and they'd be given testimonies. I shared the gospel 16 times, and 18 people got saved. Well, what's, what story are you telling? Because apparently I got the wrong one. You know, and then the next person, yeah, I shared the story. Oh, this is a testament. Oh, it was so good. I I went to visit, and this lady came to the door, and she got saved. And I was getting ready to leave, and she said, will you tell my family? And all eight family members came, and they all got saved. You know, and I'm like, and then they get to me. Yeah, I shared the gospel eight times, and nobody got saved. And I started feeling like a loser, you know, like Christian loser. I, I don't get it, Okay. And then one day this guy, who was everybody he talked to, seems like they got saved. He says, listen, stop worrying about that stuff. He said, I've been with you. You just keep telling the story like you're telling. And one day, somebody, God will quicken their heart, and they'll receive your gospel. And I said, okay. It wasn't just a few weeks. I went and knocked on the door. You know, by this point, I'm knocking on the door like this. Yeah, they come to the door. Hey, I'm Joel with the church. You know, this is probably my countenance. Who would want to hear from Jesus like this, you know? Yeah, Christian, I wanted to see if you'd be interested in talking about Jesus. Yeah, come on in. I tell them the gospel. Would you like to get saved today? Yes. And I, you would? Do I need to call Bill? You know, this is not my job right here. This is not my gig. All right? Now, here's the thing. We're, that was liberating when he said you're not responsible. You're not responsible. And don't get frustrated when people defy your God. Okay? It's okay. It's okay. You just be obedient and sharing the love story of God in your actions, in your deeds, and by word. You see, there's some people say, well, if I live like a Christian, it's called lifestyle evangelism. If I just live like a Christian, people will get saved. You can get a Jehovah's Witness, and you can get a, uh, a Mormon, and you can get a Christian, and you can say, hey, go spend the week with them. And at the end of the week, all three of them probably prayed some, acted okay some, paid their bills, and, and referred to the Bible. Which one's Right? right? You can't discern based on a good life or good deeds. It's from our words, and our words have to be built on his word. And so we have to learn that. And and Moses is sharing the word of God. 
He says, thus said the Lord, I can tell somebody my testimony. I can talk to somebody about living for Jesus all I want to. But if I do not include the word of God, it's null and void. It's the word of God that is, it's the gospel message of God that is the power of God unto salvation and deliverance. And so adversity is what determines the condition of our heart. You see, now Moses is at a place, he's going to reveal the true colors of his heart. Is he really sold out for God, or is he going to let this set him back? Uh, if you want to know the condition of somebody's heart, don't talk to them when everything's victorious. You find them when things are upside down, and listen to their heart. And it'll, you'll know. I went and visited a lady this week, and she's a sweetheart. She's one of our ladies who's been here forever. And she's been through a hard time. She had COVID, and just, I mean, she's just been in a hard time. And she's getting old. You go visit her. The condition of her heart, it's the same. I mean, it loves the Lord. And, and so that's how we know when times are hard. And so for Moses now and Aaron, things are hard. They just got rejected by the most powerful person on the planet to, as far as they knew. And, and all the while, it's just what God said. You see, this is the place where knowing the full counsel of God helps us. You see, they knew that God said go. And they knew that God said tell him to let the people go. Did they really know chapter 4, verse 21, when God said, by the way, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart and he's not going to let him go? Apparently they did. I think this is one of those places where Pharaoh says, I don't know him. I'm not letting him go. Moses and Aaron go, knuckles, just like God said, right? When we know the whole counsel of God, it helps us even when things are upside down or they don't happen like we think that it should. And so... Pharaoh's at a place where he can choose to believe or refuse to believe. The same place all people are. The same place I was as a 10-year-old boy when somebody told me the love story of God. And I wasn't listening, but this preacher was just obedient, sharing the love story of God. And the Holy Spirit was at work in my heart. It says, hey, check this out. And I heard it in that moment. And the love story of God was given for me. And it was in that moment I got to either choose to believe or refuse to believe. And it was the same for you if you're a believer. It's the same for every human being. They either choose to believe or refuse to believe. Some want to say that they refuse to choose. To refuse to choose is to make no decision at all, which is a decision to reject the truth of God's love story. Okay? And so that's where Pharaoh was. In James chapter 2, James says this. He says, oh, let me just tell you something. Oh, you say you believe in God? Oh, that's cool. The demons believe and they tremble. See, the demons know God because they were with God while they were angels before their fallen state. They knew Jesus because Jesus was with God in heaven eternally. They were aware of it. They believed, they believed that God was real. They believed that there was a story there, but they trembled. They were fearful because they knew that they had fallen from that and they could never Return And so everybody needs an opportunity to choose. So although Pharaoh, was un, was, although Pharaoh was unfamiliar with their God, he knew about their God. And it was his day to either choose or refuse. And God took his heart. By the way, I'll talk about a hardened heart in, over the next few weeks because his heart is going to be increasingly hard for the next 10 chapters. When God said, I'm going to harden his heart, 
He didn't, he didn't take an old soft, mushy, lovey-dovey heart of Pharaoh and make him stone. He took a hard heart and said, you, you want to know what a hard heart is? I'm going to show you. And so he just, and, and sometimes that's where we land. We get in a place where we get hard-hearted about something, and God says, oh, oh you, you want hard heart? I'll give you a hard heart, and he'll close it off and give it over to a reprobate mind. Now, he denied his God. He defied the reality of their God. I want you to understand something. When somebody doesn't want anything to do with your God, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting God. When somebody rejects the idea that you have a God in your life who loves you and has saved you from sin, and that same God wants the same for them, and they reject that, they're not rejecting God. You, they're rejecting God. And just because somebody denies the existence of a God they don't know does not mean that God does not exist. And sometimes when somebody starts pushing back against our faith, we get set back on our heels and they ask these really hard questions, okay? And it makes us begin to think and we, get, like, we begin to question our own God. Don't let that happen. Because somebody denies your God exists doesn't mean he doesn't exist. Let me give you an example. I have a friend, a good friend. His name is Steve Hall. He's a friend of mine from Chattanooga for 35 years nearly. Yeah. Anybody know Steve? <laughs> no, you don't know him. But I know him. Just because you don't know him don't mean he exists. I didn't just fabricate Steve in my mind. Okay? He's real. And just because somebody denies your God is real doesn't make him unreal. It just reveals that they don't know him. Just like before you met him, you didn't know him. Now let me pause right there. What if in your season of denying God, in your season of rejecting the reality of God and his love story for you, what if God would have hardened your heart and sent no one else to speak to you? And on this day, you would find yourself like Pharaoh I don't know him. I don't know why all those crazy people go to church on Sunday. I don't know all of that. What, what if God would? He didn't. He continued to open his door for you, to invite you into his presence. And, and that's our job now. Since we have it, it's to keep going to others, sharing the love story of God just like Moses. But when somebody, so when somebody rejects our faith or rejects our, our petition to share God's grace with them, God's love story with them. What about when somebody denies him? What does that say about them? Scripture tells us. Scripture says in Psalm 14, 1, the fool says in his heart there's no God. Now, you, just, you don't have to say, you know, hey, you're a fool. That's what the Bible says. You know, we don't do that, but we know in our heart. That's a foolish thing to say. In Psalm 74, 18, it says, remember this, O Lord, how the enemy scoffs and a, few, a foolish people revile your name. Romans 1.28, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased or reprobate mind to do what ought not to be done. Matthew 7.26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And so the next hurdle, the hurdle that we have in our life is pushing through that, just holding our head up with confidence, not in ourselves, but in a good God. 
And in an amazing love story, the greatest story ever told, the fact that the God of creation would choose to love fallen mankind enough to die on a cross to rescue us from our condition and call us his own. It's the greatest story ever told. And the world is dying literally to hear that story. And so God is a big God and he invites us to be a part of big things. And so Moses and Aaron are in a place, they're like, okay, so you don't know him. Now what do we do? They're going to double down. I love this. It's like they didn't even hear what Pharaoh said. Listen at verse 3. So they said, um, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us go on a three-day journey into the wilderness so that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God so that he does not strike us with plague or sword. He's just like, you don't know him? Okay, he, wants, he, still, he still wants you to let us go. I just kind of like that. Just right in the face of rejection and defiance, they're going to double down. That's what it's supposed to look like. We just dive in deeper, all right? Now, in verse 4, it says, So the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, Why do you cause the people to refrain from their work? Return to your labor. Pharaoh was thinking, The people of the land are now many, and you are giving them rest from the labor. Okay, here's what Pharaoh's thinking. My GMP, okay, it just went to zero. I got zero production going on in my nation. The people who built this empire brick by brick, they've stopped. There's nothing going on. I cannot let them go because I lose everything. That's where he's at. He had a good tangible reason to reject God's story. Verse 6, that same day Pharaoh commanded the slave masters and the foremen who were over the people. He said, you must no longer give straw to the people for making bricks as before. Let them go and collect straw for themselves. But you must require of them the same quota of bricks that they were making before. Do not reduce it, for they are slackers. That is why they're crying, let us go, sacrifice to our God. When a person steps out in faith, in obedience to the commands of God, and begins to tell the story of God, you can bet on defiance of the commands of God you can count on it know that's coming I just want I'm gonna be honest with you it's not easy okay but it's good and it's and in time God will bless those who are obedient and God will do something great when we simply do our small part in his great kingdom agenda now I want you to see number two you'll find a disregard for the character of God a disregard for God's character verse nine Pharaoh says Make the work harder for the men so they will keep at it and pay no attention to lying words. You see, Satan is not satisfied with you alone just hushing your mouth. You know, the enemy, he's not satisfied with you just questioning your own faith walk with God. He wants to undermine the whole thing. He wants to say the whole thing is built on a lie. And he wants to disregard the, the, the very character of who God is. And so he attacks God. He says, they are liars. You know what he's saying? He says, they are lying. And their message that they're saying God spoke to them, the whole thing is a farce. The whole thing is built upon a lie. And so he, in this moment, uh, Pharaoh realizes, I've got to do something. Because these people built my empire one brick at a time. I can't let them buy into this idea that God is going to set them free. And so I've got to hit hard. I've got to cut deep to, 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 to quiet this message, this story of God. 
Now, to deny or disregard uh, the character of God, to disregard the character of God, you say, that was 3,500 years ago. We don't really have that today, do we? If you want to know if we disregard the character of God, let me tell you how you can do it. You can do it today. Probably as soon as you get home, you can turn your TV on and you can watch whichever flavor you prefer. MSNBC, Fox News, CNN. Turn on the news. And you know what you'll see the most of? Disregard for the character of God. You, you, you're not convinced? All you have to do is walk around a few days in this world. Go to the schools. Listen to some of the policies that are coming out. Watch, read some political review. All of it built on disregard for the character of God. Now, what does it look like when, when we see it? It looks like lying about the sanctity of human life. It looks like lying about God-given sexual identity. It looks like lying about sexual sins. It looks like lying about access to heaven. It looks like lying about the existence of heaven and hell. And let me tell you, I, I, I will tell you this. You don't have to look long. You can go home and watch it, watch it for 30 minutes. That's all you need to watch. Because after 30 minutes, they're going to start saying the same thing over. They'll have a different voice. They'll put a few different words, a different interview. But it's the same story. You know, I, I learned this when at the last election. I found myself consumed with the news. And then one day I was like, wait a minute. This is deja vu all over again. I think I heard that. When did I hear that? Oh, yeah, it was about 30 minutes ago. And so I stopped watching the news. I went for two or three years, didn't watch any news. I started watching it again here recently, and you know what I found out? It was still true. Now I don't even think they got 30 minutes of good stuff. I think it's 20 minutes now, and they're starting to repeat it. And, so it's, and all of it is built on undermining uh, and disregarding the character of God. And I want you to know this. The news didn't create it. The political world didn't create it. Pharaoh didn't create it. It's always been here. Disregarding the character of God is not a new thing. When you pick up your Bible and you read Genesis, you read two victorious chapters, and then everything falls apart, and the rest of the Bible is about God fixing our brokenness. And in chapter 3, God has spoken to Adam and Eve, and man, they're walking in the cool of the mornings. They're having a good time, naked and unashamed. Mr. Crafty shows up, disregard for the character of God. Listen to what he says in chapter 3. He says, is it really true that God said that? Then he goes on, he says, oh, surely you won't die. And then he goes on, he says, in fact, God knows you will be more like him. You see that? It's always been around. And it will always be around until Jesus returns. So you can expect it when you live for God you can expect to encounter people who want to ask you questions that you don't know. Let me, let me just say this. You don't have to answer, have answers for all the questions, okay? Just like I shared that about verses 22 through 26, there's some think tank people out there. They want to just digest. They want to just dissect and digest that whole thing. I don't care. I don't care why God wanted to kill Moses, but I'm, I guarantee it was a good reason, okay? That's all I know. And, and when somebody, you share your, the love story of God with somebody, and you don't have all the theological answers. And they ask you really good questions, right? Because they've, they've read them, all right? They've listened to somebody smarter than them, and they're quoting that person. And they say, 
Well, if an all-loving God knows all things, then why does an all-loving God, and he controls all things, why does an all-loving God allow bad things to happen in people's lives? And you can just look at him and go, man, you're sharper than your average bear. I don't know. That's all you got to say. I don't know. But you know what I know? God loves everybody so much that he came down here in the form of Jesus and died on a cross to forgive our sin, and he wants us to be in his family forever. And you know what they're going to say? Well, what about, and they're going to ask you another question, and you go, you are brilliant. I don't know. Do you know? They don't know either. So don't let them set you back on your heels. You just dig in. You're hanging on to God, all right? You're not hanging on to Satan, which is who they're hanging on to, and they don't even know it. Jesus said in John 8, 44, you are of your father, the devil. Now, you could say that. I don't know the answer to the question, but did you know? I know this. Did you know you're of your father, the devil? <laughs> you could say that. That would, that would help. And he says, and your will is to do your father's desire." And he was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there's no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks out of his own character. But he is a liar and the father of all lies. When we talk to somebody who has disregard for the character of God and it, and it sounds like those questions where they're pushing back in our mind, in our soul, we can say, God, you landed me right in front of somebody who is a child of the devil. Anybody who's not saved is a child of the devil, right? That's our audience. That's who needs to hear our story. That's the people who need to hear the love story of God. And they're dying for somebody to simply tell them. Now, you don't have to worry about the results. That's the good part. And I said that because one day God makes it beautiful. One day we'll realize we were right because we listened to God. Scripture tells us in Philippians chapter 2, verse 10, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It may not look like a victory right now, but it's gonna look like a victory one day. One day when every knee bows, and we're, we're right in the middle of it. When I, he said this was coming. This is it. Everybody, everybody, everybody will bow down to Jesus. Okay? You just need to know that's the future. Find yourself obedient between now and that future, and God will honor you, and he'll bless your life. Number three, you're going to see disdain for God's children. There's somebody who doesn't know God, they hate the children of God. They may not say, I hate you. But in their soul, they hate what you have because they don't have it yet, okay? It says in verse 10, so the slave masters of the people and their foremen went to the Israelites and they said, thus says, the, says Pharaoh, I'm not giving you a straw. You go get straw for yourselves wherever you can find it because there will be no reduction at all in your workload. So the people spread out through all the land of Egypt to collect stubble for straw, and the slave masters were pressuring them, saying, complete your work for each day, just like when there was straw. The Israelite foremen, whom Pharaoh's slave masters had set over them, were beaten. And they were asked, why did you complete, why, 
Uh, why did you not complete your requirement for brick making as in the past, both yesterday and today? The Israelite foreman went and they cried out to Pharaoh, why are you treating your servants this way? No straw is given to your servants, but we are told make bricks and your servants are even being beaten, but the fault is with your people. But Pharaoh replied, you are slackers, and that is why you are saying, let us go sacrifice to the Lord. So now get back to work. You will not be given straw, but you must still produce your quota of bricks. And the Israelite foreman saw that they were in trouble when they were told you must not reduce the the daily quota of your bricks. Listen, the enemy cannot destroy God ever. God, your God, is creator. Everything else in existence, including Satan himself, including all the demons of hell, they are created beings. The created can never overcome the creator, and they know that. So his his goal, his objective in life, since he can't overcome God, is to pour out troubles on the object of God's affection. And that's you. (laughs) So you have a target on your back if you're a Christian. Satan hates you. Okay, but it's okay. God is your defender. And so in John 10, 10, Jesus tells us what the devil's goal is for you. You ready? The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he wants to do to you. Lost people and saved people. His goal is to kill, to steal, and destroy. But Jesus said, but I've come so that you can have life and you can have it to the full. You can have it abundantly. And so what, what do we do? We just keep witnessing. We just keep sharing the story of God. No matter what hurdles come our way, we dive in deeper. We just keep telling the love story of God. We keep loving God with everything we are. We keep loving other people enough to tell them the love story of God. Regardless of what happens, we hold our head up and we keep moving forward. And your witness may cost you something, but you need to remember the one you're witnessing about cost himself everything up on a cross you may miss a party you may miss a promotion you may miss a preferred status in this world but God has you in his laser sights and when we are obedient to his command his call and his commission he will bless us he will bless you because he blesses obedience and you can't run from that lastly discouragement to God's witness another hurdle is discouragement when we run into all of that stuff man it will it'll punch you in the face it'll set the let the wind out of your sails you feel like I don't know if I want to keep doing this you need to keep doing this why not because of the results because of the command to do it As we continue to read in verse 20, it says, When they went out from Pharaoh, they encountered Moses and Aaron standing there to meet them. And they said to them, May the Lord look on you. This is, this is, these are his people now. These are the Israelite leaders, the foremen. They're saying, May the Lord look on you and judge because you've made us stink in the opinion of Pharaoh and his servants so that you've given them an excuse now to kill us. Verse 22, Moses returned to the Lord. <laughs> okay, i got to have a come-to-Jesus meeting right here because this is not what I thought when you commanded me to do this. I'm obedient. I'm doing what you told me to do. This is not what I expected. 
So he goes before the Lord, and this is what Moses says, Lord, why? Everybody say, why? Have you caused trouble for this people? Why? Everybody say, why? Did you ever send me? From the time I went to speak to Pharaoh in your name, he has caused trouble for this people. You have certainly not rescued them. Uh Uh-oh. Let me tell you something. If you're going to struggle in your walk with God because of the why questions in your life, you will always struggle. Watch this. Has anybody in here ever had something in your life that you just had to look to God and say, why? Raise your hand. Look at all the honest people. Okay. Okay, you're not alone. That's life. And I want to encourage you. You got, you got things in your life that, 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 that develop, muster up this big why? Let me tell you where to take it. God. You are taking those questions to the right place. God is big enough for all of your why questions. There's not a why question you can come up with that God hasn't heard before. He's well-versed in answering the why questions, but I want to warn you, he's not obligated to give you an answer, at least not immediately. But you, you can ask God why. He's okay with that. He's a big God. And part of asking God why is understanding God and knowing him deeper. You can do that, and it's okay. Moses did it. Moses didn't create the idea of the why question. And Moses wouldn't be the last one to ask the why question. Moses is at a place now, listen to me, where he knows deep in his soul, he has a message of the love story of God burned in him from a burning bush. And he knows that that he stands at the threshold of being the one to introduce a delivering God to an enslaved people. He's the guy. He's the guy that's going to write the first five books in the Bible. He knows that they've been enslaved for 400 years. He, he knows that, that at the hands of Pharaoh, the male baby boys were post-birth aborted, murdered. He knows of all the atrocities that have happened to his people. And he knows he's the guy to offer a story of deliverance. And he still looks to God and says, why did you send me? Okay? Spin that forward 3,500 years. And you know who Moses looks an awful lot like? The person sitting next to you. It looks like you. You hold the story of God. You're the one that he's called to take his story to the people in your circle. You're the one. He picked you to do that. It's easy to celebrate God at the th- in the thrill of victory. What about in the agony of defeat? When I was growing up, on Saturday, we didn't have sports on every channel all day long. We had ABC Sports. It would come on at 6 o'clock on Sunday. And they had this real cool song, da 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 And they would say, the thrill of victory. And they would show these victorious moments at these sports events. And then they would go, dun-dun-dun, the ag- or the agony of defeat. And they would show this skier coming down this steep slope. And about halfway down, one leg comes up, which isn't supposed to happen. And the next thing you know, he's sideways. Now he's on his back going down the side of the track. Next thing you know, he's bouncing across the, the 
the snack shop or something. Next thing you know, he's bouncing across the ground. Looks like he's dead. I mean, he should have died. But he didn't. He, he, he lived, okay? And that was ag- agony of defeat. And what a beautiful image of agony of defeat. Listen to me. Sometimes walking with God in obedience feels like the absolute thrill of victory, man. It is just the coolest thing in the world. Nothing compares and nothing can compare. But tomorrow, I'm still walking in obedience, and I feel like I'm bouncing across the snack shop in the agony of defeat, okay? All the while, the same God is on the throne. The same calling is still in place. The same love story is still extended. So whether in the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat, We just keep sharing the story of God. And we're going to see in the life of Moses and Aaron that that's exactly what they do. What about the why questions? Joshua, he was amazing. Chapter 7, he says, God, sovereign Lord, why did you bring these people across the Jordan to hand us over to the Amorites? Gideon, pretty amazing guy. Judges 6, he says, pardon me, God, but... If the Lord is with us, why has such disaster overtaken us? Nehemiah in chapter 13, he says, Why is the temple of God so neglected? Job chapter 3, Why did I not just die at birth? That's heavy. The psalmist in Psalm 10, he says, Why, Lord, do you stand so far away? David said in Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Asaph says in Psalm 74.1, Why, O oh God, have you permanently rejected us? And why does your anger burn against the sheep of your pasture? Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 14, Why have you struck us with such force that we are beyond recovery? And if that's not enough, we can always go to Jesus. He's a good reference. Matthew 27, he says about 3 o'clock, Jesus, while hanging on the cross, he said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You want to ask a a why question? (laughs) You go right ahead. You're keeping good company. You're keeping good company with your why questions. But don't let your why question keep you from moving forward in obedience to God's call, his command, and his commission on your life. Because there's a people out there that are dying to hear the love story of God. I am eternally grateful for parents and grandparents and men and women who served in the church and a preacher who I do not know his name and to a church family who were obedient to God and kept just screaming the love story of God at me and to me to a place where I heard it and I gave myself to it and I am now a product of it and you should be grateful for that too and if for no other reason just that gratefulness that somebody else shared the love story of God with you that should motivate you to share the love story of God with somebody else and so today we know the story we know how to share the story at any level God, our Holy Spirit will direct us. And that's the challenge. It's Christmas in two weeks. We celebrate Emmanuel, God with us. 
when God would wrap himself in skin and come to this earth with the purpose of dying on a cross to save us. And you have been commissioned to share that story. Maybe you're uncomfortable. I don't know all the answers. I'm going to help you with that in the next few weeks. But maybe you don't have all the answers right now. I don't either. It's okay. But you can invite them to church, and we're going to tell them the truth. So you can do that. And maybe you're here today, and the reason you haven't done that is you, your heart has become hardened and complacent about that. I, want to, I, want, I just would encourage you to ask God to soften your heart for lost people. Soften your heart for people who don't know what you know and don't have what you have. Soften your heart for people who if asked, they would say, I don't know him. And you could say, I can help you with that. But maybe you're here today and the reason you can't tell somebody else is because you can't share what you don't have. And maybe your whole life you've heard the story, but that part, that spiritual side of your being for whatever reason has been hardened to the truth of the gospel, the love story of God. And to you, I would say what Scripture says in Hebrews 3.15. He says, oh, that today you would listen as he speaks. Do not harden your hearts as in rebellion. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Maybe you're here today and this is your day of salvation two weeks before Christmas. That's pretty cool. I would encourage you to receive that message and not harden your heart. And on this day, you could simply cry out and say, God, I, I hear it. I hear your story. There's a lot of people in here, but I hear it. It's in me. I receive it. I give my sinful self to your holiness. I receive your grace gift found in Jesus. I want him to save me, to forgive me, and make me new. On this day, I want you to adopt me into your forever family. In Jesus' name, I accept your gift for this Christmas, Jesus, your son. I accept your Holy Spirit in my life to help me. Help me live for you from this day forward. Now, if you made that decision today, I want you to take in your life guide after the service and tear off the connection card at the back and just put your name, your connection numbers, and put that on there. I received Jesus today. I want to know more about it. I will personally call you and help you. Maybe you're here today and you've already received that love story in your life. I'm challenging you to step into the journey of being obedient, just like Moses 3,500 years ago, stepping out of your comfort zone to share the love story of God with a world who's dying to hear it. Father, thank you so much. You are an amazing God, and we thank you for Jesus in whom all things are possible. We thank you that you've called us to share your love story. Help us be found faithful and obedient, God. We ask in advance that you would bless our efforts. Help us pray for those that we're going to share with. Help us invite friends and family to church, and we'll give you praise for whatever happens. In Jesus' name, God's people said, amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.